Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis, the podcast for creativity and other phenomena. So, it's been a while. Okay, for those of you that just discovered this podcast, it's been an episode. Boy, have I been having an episode. If there's one thing you know about me, and I don't know what you know about me. Some of you might know this podcast. Some of you might have had me as an instructor at your university. Some of you might have seen my show Inhibitionist at your friendly neighborhood fringe festival. But a lot has happened in the time that I had the last existential crisis. And honestly... This idea that existential crises are broadcastable, uh, podcastable, well, this was the original idea for the podcast, but let's be frank, not all components of an existential crisis are palatable for public consumption. They get pretty dark, existential crises. I don't know if you've ever had one, but at any rate, let's... uh, Here's to the end of the wound licking. Let's get on with the creativity part of the podcast. Let's get out of our own ways. And I bring to you now a riff that I call Gamey. Tim's friend liked to go hunting. Actually, this guy was a friend of Tim's roommate, Chuck, the lead singer of the prairie funk outfit, Root Fruit. Either way, Tim scored some primo venison for the deep freeze and gave some to Matt to make up for always showing up late on the site because he hadn't copped the night before and had to run down to the south side by the new mega grocery where the meat cutters were non-union. This was a big deal to the labor hacks on the east side and frankly didn't trouble Tim much unless for some reason they interfered with his weekly acquisition of junk, which to my knowledge, they did not, neither the non-union meat cutters, the east side labor wonks, or the unionized workers at all the local grocery chains. But anyway, Tim owed Matt a time or two for not carrying his sorry junkie ass to work. Even though Tim was as bright as both Chuck and his skippy-dippy girlfriend, Honey, they ranked higher up the Nirvana scale for Matt because, one, they didn't work for Matt, and two, they didn't have heroin habits. So anyway, Matt slickers this gun-toting, deer-shooting friend of a friend of his out of about five pounds of lean venison, five pounds of ground venison, and five pounds of the most prized of culinary delights in the big north woods, drumroll please, venison sausage all to make up for those late mornings busted saw blades and missed days not due to rain to matt like matt who was more likely to side with the uber educated snoot-nosed guilty liberals on the east side and learn through osmosis by dating only women with graduate degrees like he could somehow be swayed by the thought of venison sausage But like any hungry man who knows that the wind chill is going to put a damper on any revenue-generating construction project come November, Matt was not one to look a gift deer in the mouth. Unfortunate side note, this friend of a friend Bambi killer kills his prey using a shotgun. 
So the best way to disguise the chunkiness of the buckshot now plastered throughout the loins of said dead animal is to grind up the carcass, toss in some whole peppercorns, and hope the whole thing either gets cooked out, strained in the sauce, or that the diner already has dentures and gums all his food because the damage to both one's enamel and one's jaw could definitely put Dr. Friday of the Universified West Side's two kids through college. Sometimes it is hard to know who the subject is and who the narrator is. I think that <laughs> it's it's always funny for me to like hear myself writing about drug use uh, and then it seems like I've actually been using drugs uh, <laughs> when I'm when I'm writing about it. Um, needless to say, uh, I was cold that year when I wrote that, I think. Uh, this was pre, pre me living in Texas, so I was very, uh, very unacquainted with people that shot things. Uh, and then I moved to Texas, and people might not shoot things, but they knew how to shoot things, um, the people that surrounded me when I lived in Texas. And, you know, perhaps now a lot of people are, um, you know, wanting to shoot things, I think this is going down some kind of path quite quickly. Uh, but um, needless to say, there's there's great creativity that can happen. And I'm really not making a lot of sense here today because I really want to move on to the next, the next section of this, which I think might be more interesting uh, because it has been a while. Even though it's been an episode for some of you, it has been more than one episode <laughs> between me and you. Um, so on that note, let's, uh, let's have a look at this week in existence. As I said, uh, this week, this era, this moment in history, in existence, since my last podcast with the inimical Renee Calarco, DC playwright extraordinaire, I decided that I needed to change my life. And this is the potential fallout when one confronts one's existence. We decide that our life is less than optimal, less than pleasurable, less than we want for the next 35 years. And because we are, some of us are actors in our own lives, meaning that we are the agents of change in our lives, we have built our life, or let's, let's own this, I have built my life to have a certain flexibility to change. On, on a whim, often. Um, so I decided to change my life. So here we are at the, uh, well, we're in the swirl. <laughs> I'm self-inducing a swirly, gang. 
When one decides to change one's career, like I did when I launched this podcast, I was shifting toward the dramatist space, going from being a writer to being a performer or some kind of hybrid therein. And I've been finally staring back at my truth, not backing down, not shriveling under the beaming light of reality, but engaging, stepping more fully on the journey of self-actualization. I mean, we're, we're all on this, especially when we get to ascend the Maslow hierarchy of needs. A lot of us have been feeling pretty compromised that way lately, but on a good day, we can look at things creatively. Well, however, a while ago, um, and time is relative when you're in podcastville because it all just happens simultaneously, consecutively maybe, but there's no past, there's no future, it's all just right now. But if you can imagine a person in my position examining her existence with finer than a fine-tooth comb, with a nano needle, nano device, uh, stimulating the collagen of my life at a molecular level, getting rid of the wrinkles, introducing new chi, I guess. Uh, Well, I decided that I no longer wanted to live where I was living. I no longer wanted to live with whom I was living, and I no longer wanted to have the life that I had developed over the past couple of decades. Of course, after months of angst and deflection, I'm quite good at that, um, this decision came out right after Christmas. Decisions like this, for people that celebrate Christmas, this is the Christmas present to ourselves. You know, we had a fine Christmas. We had a wonderful familial, if you can call it that, if it's a dyad um, experience. Uh, And then you wake up and you say, yeah, no. And you find out that you both are saying, yeah, no. And that was a number of months ago. Uh, Like I said, there's been a number of episodes that have not been recorded. Uh, Thank goodness, I suppose. Uh, The thing I did not know at the time was that you cannot spell divorce without COVID. Huh. I don't want to traverse the rabbit hole of divorcing in place. Uh, We all have separation stories. We all have ways that we have suspended our animation. If anything, I felt a little better just imagining that I was not the only person in a bad mood. So now I sit. Post-separation, post-legality, post-Texas, post-traveling across the country to find where I needed to go. And if you've heard my second episode, um, you'll have heard me talk about my parents. Uh, When the marriage gets so bad, uh, let me rephrase that. Um, When I feel so at odds with myself in the marriage, it's it's not like it was a bad marriage. You know, I'm, (laughs) but I'm a great ex-wife. I I am a great ex-wife. I'm arguably a crappy wife, I think. But I think... I think I'm not very good at that because I'm the one that breaks up, but I'm a great ex-wife because I'll basically give you anything you want. If you let me go, I will make it worth your while. 
at least in some kind of material way, I suppose. Now, that's not an offer to like, hey guys, come out and hitch your horse to this wagon because you're going to get a great deal! Eventually. No, but, um, so once we came to this decision, or at least this mutual recognition of our shared unhappiness, I realized that I did not have much of an out. I wanted out. But like many people, women, artists, members of the 50-plus crowd, I knew it all along, really. I knew that this was a risk. But those of us that pursue artistic activities, cash flow shifts. And that shift is usually away from the shore, (laughs) right? So another thing you might know about me is I'm one of those people that jumps off the bridge and realizes that there is no net under me. I'm, I'm very zen that way. I'm also very Italian in that I have run off the bridge with an open can of gasoline and I flick a lit match at it just as I reach the ledge. Catastrophic self-immolation, back to zero method of reinvention. Now, if you've never seen the movie Insignificance, and it's okay, I have never met anyone else who has. It came out in 1985. It came out the year that I turned 20. I saw it in the theater more than once. Watch it. It's part of the Criterion Collection now. It's a film by Nicholas Rogue, and most Americans have not heard of that filmmaker. Some folks might be familiar with Teresa Russell, Many folks might have heard of Gary Busey, and a different generation of you might be familiar with the young actor Tony Curtis. Well, those are the folks that are in this film, Insignificance. Watch it. You'll really get a perspective of how I live my life, and if you've ever had me as an instructor, how I grade, well, it's all relative, right? I mean, how about that? It it is a story about Einstein. But speaking of relatives, to really mix the metaphors, or to finally find the metaphor, perhaps, (laughs) in order to change my life, I had become so at odds with my marital situation, um, my coupled situation, um, I decided that the only option that I had, my best exit strategy, was to go back to my place of birth. Yeah. I left my folks' house when I was 18, and I was not looking back. They're not wrong people. They're not wrong. We vibrate a little differently. And I needed to pursue vibrations that helped me, what, self-actualize? I'm always in pursuit of that. Barring specifics, it had become so uncomfortable to be where I was you know, the chrysalis was becoming, sh- was being shaken loose. And the only way I could do this to break free, shall we say, was to return to the homeland, at least at this moment in history for me, you know, prodigal daughter style. For those of you that don't know, the homeland for me is outside of Syracuse, New York. And for those of you that know Syracuse and know where I was living in far west Texas, you might understand why I would choose to live in a place that had 360 days of sun every year. Uh, Needless to say, it's a little gray here, and that's not just the skies um, for me. Uh, knowing, Knowing how I am and how I 
how I think about how I think, I never, I never really look back. You know, like, ah, oh, I don't reminisce about the good old days. Ah, oh, when I was 18, we went to state. You know, I was not a football hero, obviously. Um, I was not the skinny girl in high school. I was not comfortable. I'm not the only adolescent to know that. Um, I was fun, sure, but I don't miss the anxiety of adolescence. I, it's so unfiltered. <laughs> I have enough anxiety as it is, and I really have no nostalgia and I had a similar realization when I moved to the island of Manhattan from Austin, te Texas at that point, um, when I was 36. Oh, I'm back in the state of my birth. Mm, that was uncomfortable. It, it's a weird realization. I mean, people love moving to New York, and it feels like you've arrived, and I did, but it also was where I was from almost. Almost. It did not have that tail-between-the-legs feeling that coming home, like this feels. Um, so here I have been, here I am. <laughs> let's, let's own the presence of this. Um, it's been two weeks now, gang, uh, that I'm living with my parents. And a lot has changed for them too. I mean, my dad has had a stroke since that second episode of Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis. And my mother has had kidney cancer in that period of time, which when she fell, going back to that second episode, uh, they gave her a full body scan that identified a tumor around her kidney. So that fall, as unproblematic as it turned out, actually yielded a better result because she was able to catch some renal cell carcinoma. And we always want to catch that RCC, man. Well, not catch it, but catch it early. So here I am. This is my life now. I wanted to say this is part of my life now. This is... <laughs> this is my life. And you'll notice the existential crisis might have a little different production quality now because I'm doing it myself. I'm still working out the kinks. Um, but really, aren't all existential crises individual in nature? I mean, isn't it up to us to figure out all this stuff by ourselves anyway? So this is just a self-actualization through audio. Where's my producer? Well, look in the mirror, kid. Look in the mirror. You wanted it. You got it. <laughs> Music for Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis is composed by Marfa, Texas's own Andy Schneider. I want to thank him, and I want to give a big shout-out to my parents for making this next phase of my life possible. I also want to thank my COVID divorce posse for their virtual and real-world support through this time. Cannot wait to share a drink and a hug with all you guys again. And I want to thank you for your listenership, for your applause, for your holding space. Let's, what, uh, keep hope alive. This week's closing mantra? 
Embrace the big stuff. We're all making discoveries that we never thought possible, making choices we never knew we needed to, moving forward while standing still. Tweet me at the Hope Crisis. Glad to be back. Hang in. And as always, look after yourselves.